Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. I've been married for 16 years, going on 17, and during my first year married, I remember that Joy came back with groceries, and she brought back maybe six to eight bags of groceries, and I saw the receipt, and it was super long. And I'm looking at everything that she bought and and how expensive everything was, And like a brand new husband, I tell her, I think that you're spending way food. And I'm pretty sure that I can buy the same amount of groceries for half the money. And she looked at me and she chuckled. And I was like, no, no, I'm serious. I really think that you're just going to the store, you're going to Woodman's and buying the first thing that you find throwing it in the cart and just leaving. But I, I'm pretty sure that I can go there, find the best price, and buy the same amount of groceries for less. So we made this agreement that I was supposed to buy groceries next time. And she was going to give me a list. So she gave me a list. It said, one rice, two can of tomatoes, Three, I don't remember what else. And I went to the store, and it said rice, so I bought one little bit. said that to bring tomatoes, so I brought a can of tomatoes. And then I bought everything on the list, and when I went to the cash register to pay, I was way under half of the money that she had spent. Of course, I didn't buy enough food for a month. I knew that now. And I remember thinking to myself as the cash register was, you know, as they were charging me, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell her I told you so. You know, I did it right. You were doing it wrong. And and this this is great. I just had this one job. I did it right. You did it wrong because I saved us some money. Until I got home. And the conversation was, hey, Armin, how am I supposed to cook for two weeks with this? Because I didn't buy enough. You see, we've all made mistakes. We've all messed up the, the one job that we had. And we've all been in that place where we felt like we messed up everything. And that there's no room for hope. And if you ever felt like that, you see, you're not alone. Israel experienced the same thing. And that is described in the book of the prophet Isaiah. And for the next few minutes, we'll discuss Isaiah chapter 40. You see, chapter 40 of Isaiah delivers a message of hope and encouragement to God's people as they face tough times. It is essential to remember that Isaiah didn't begin with chapter 40, that there's 39 chapters before. 
and to grasp the full weight of the hope and encouragement of Isaiah chapter 40, we have to journey back through the first 39 chapters where we encounter Judah's refusal to heed God's call to return to him, leading to severe consequences. Let me say that in English. God had given Israel one job. They were supposed to be God's representative to the nations. The agreement was simple. God chose Israel. They were supposed to live for him so that through their example, all the other countries of the world may come to faith in God. And as a result, Israel was supposed to be blessed. And they were going to be blessed in three very specific ways. God was going to build them into a great nation. Number one, that God was going to give them a land, a place to call their own. A land of blessing, a land of abundance, a land where everything that they needed was going to be satisfied. And number three, that they were going to have a temple, a place where they could meet God, where they can find forgiveness, where they can find hope. That was a very simple agreement and a very clear job description. But the people of Israel, like us sometimes, started very well and then crashed. They started doing things well and then all of a the sudden they forgot that it was God who, was, who had blessed them. They forgot that it was God who had brought them this far. And they started relying on their own ideas, on their own opinions. They thought, we don't need God anymore because we have the temple. We're protected because we have blessing. We're okay. And they started drifting farther and farther from God. And God in his mercy would raise prophets, would raise judges, people to call them back to say, hey, you are not leading well, you're not living well, you need to come back to me. And these prophets would prophesy to Israel. Now when we think about prophecy right now, we think about foretelling the future, about telling what's going to happen in a few days, maybe in a couple of months but biblical prophecy was just a little bit different. Biblical prophecy was like when you were walking down a path and you find a fork in the road. And there's two paths that you can take. What the prophet does is that the prophet stands in that fork and warns people. The prophet tells people, hey, you know what? Right now you're not living for God. Right now you're messing up. You've missed the mark. And if you keep on living like this in the future, you're going to suffer the consequences. So it's foretelling the future, but it's telling us something about today. And the prophet also says, but if today you repent, if today you turn to God, then in the future, God is going to bless you. God is going to restore you. That was the role of the prophet in the Old Testament. 
And what happened with the people of Israel was that when they found themselves struggling with their faith, when they found themselves so self-reliant that they thought that they didn't need God anymore, they were missing the one job that they were given. And as a result, they ignored God. Israel ignored the warnings and chose not to return to God. And what happened? They lost the promised land. The Bible says and history tells us that the empire of Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people as slaves back to their country. They lost their blessing. They lost their abundance. They lost their freedom because they forgot the plan of God. Because they forgot the one who had prospered them. Because they forgot the one who had called them. Because they forgot the one who had given them life and a purpose. They lost the blessing. And now they find themselves slaves in another country. And they cannot see a way out. You see, the temple was the place where you went for sacrifices. The temple was a place where you went when you made a mistake and you wanted to ask for forgiveness. And that if, if there's no temple, how can you ask God for forgiveness? If there's no temple, there's no hope. If there's no hope, then they were supposed to be slaves for the rest of their lives. They were going to be bound forever. From the backdrop of loss, the stage is set for an exploration of the profound crisis of faith experienced by the people of Israel. Because when they found themselves in Egypt, when they found themselves struggling, when they felt that all was lost, they started to wonder, what happened? Why didn't God help me out? Why is God allowing all these bad things to happen to me? Why am I suffering? Why is God not blessing me? Why am I praying and God is not responding? Is it that God has been defeated by Satan? Is it that God has been defeated by the problems that I see in my family? Is it that God is not powerful enough to heal me? Is it that God is not powerful enough to lend me a hand? Or maybe, could it be that all of this is happening because we really messed up? Because we've sinned so much that God got tired and he was like, I'm done with you. It is in the, this context that God, through the prophet Isaiah, encourages Israel to trust him. It is when Israel found themselves at their lowest. It was when Israel thought that there was no hope. It was when Israel thought that their problem was too great to be fixed. It was when Israel found themselves just burdened by sin and thinking that God could not forgive them. God, God called Isaiah and gave Isaiah a message of hope. 
that God said, I am not done with you. And I believe that there are some people in this room that need to hear that tonight. God is not done with you. And as we enter Isaiah chapter 40, we discover the comforting words of God that spark the flame of hope amid despair. Israel felt lost, but God steps in. Israel felt weak, but God steps in, demonstrating that he is their only hope and salvation. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When God's people felt there was no hope, God said, there is hope. You can find comfort. You can find refuge because God has paid the debt for you. Because God has chosen to forgive you. Because God has chosen to intervene in your reality when you didn't deserve it. And we call that grace. That when we messed up our lives, that when we dug a hole for ourselves, that when nothing was going right and we had no hope, God had mercy on us. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And it is when we find ourselves struggling that God gave us this word of comfort and says, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your family. I'm not done with your ministry. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you hope and a future. In the opening verses of Isaiah 40, God shifts the prophetic message from one of judgment to one of hope, offering comfort and promising salvation to his people. Israel felt crushed under the burden of their sins. They felt like all was lost. However, they experienced God's undeserved grace. You see, the exile's purpose is not to destroy Israel, but to prune them. And this is important for us to understand that at times God allows us to experience the consequences of our bad decisions, not because he doesn't love us, not because he wants to destroy us, not because he doesn't care anymore. That sometimes God allows us to experience the consequences of our bad decisions to prune us. To cut away the stuff that is not bearing fruit, that we may grow, that we may blossom that we may be the people that he created us to be. See, God's direct intervention is emphasized as the only hope for his people. God himself 
comes to the aid of helpless Israel and comes to our aid and with nothing preventing his swift arrival. God says, you think that all is lost, but I'm not done. I'm going to bring comfort. I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to bring healing. And that's where we find Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. I'm going to read it again. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I don't know where you may find yourself. I don't know how, with what things are you struggling. But I've come to tell you something in the name of Jesus. The word of God will stand forever. And he has promised that if you turn to him, he will turn to you. That if you come to him asking for help, he will come and bring comfort and peace and hope. Because the word of God will stand forever. There is no permanence in anything human. But if God speaks a promise, that word will stand and nothing can alter it. If God said it, it's going to happen. You can count on it. But we need to grab a hold of that truth. We need to grab a hold of his promise. And we need to be able to run to God when we feel discouraged. We need to be able to run to God when we feel sad. We need to be able to run to God when we feel lonely. We need to be able to run to God when we are under the weight of sin. Because only in Him will we find comfort. God still provides comfort. And he assures that he will keep his word. The question is, can you trust him? Can you say tonight, I'm going to grab a hold of that promise. And I'm going to run to God. Now as we move on to verses 12 and 14 of chapter 40. We see the unfolding revelation of God's unmatched power and sovereignty. This vision serves as an anchor for their wavering faith, giving Israel reasons to trust God amidst the crisis. You see, it's very easy for, for me to tell you, trust God. Everything is going to be okay. It is very easy to say, trust God and he will comfort you and he will rescue you and he will provide and heal and deliver and redeem. It's very easy for me to say. Because I'm not going through what you're going through. But I find so powerful that in verses 12 through 14, God gives us an anchor. And the anchor, the, that, that, that truth that is going to help us to trust him is who he is. And this anchor is given to us in several questions. And the answer 
to each question is nobody. So what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses and we're going to read the question. And after each question, we're going to answer it. And the answer is, what's the answer again? Nobody. Nobody. So who has measured the waters of the sea in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has instructed him? Who did he, God, consult for his enlightenment? And who taught him the path of justice? Nobody. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody. Our God has no equal. This passage establishes God's unmatched power and authority, refuting any comparison to idols or celestial bodies or other gods or anything else. Our God is greater than creation. He is not the mountains. He is not the oceans. He is not the heavens, but he holds them in his hand. Our God is greater than the greatest army. Our God is wiser than the wisest person. Our God has no equal. Even the best of us fails when compared to God's majesty. God is unmatched, all-powerful. He is unmatched and all-powerful. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because the resurrection proved that God is all-powerful. The resurrection proved that God is unmatched. Because if someone said that he was going to die and come back to life and he actually does it, you kind of need to listen to that person. And it is because he rose from the dead that we have this assurance that no one compares to him. And if he said that he was going to be there for us, if he said that he was going to comfort us, if he said that we were going to have hope, it doesn't matter what the news say. It doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter anything because if God said it, he is going to keep his word because he is almighty God and there is nothing impossible for him. The question is, can we trust him? Isaiah questions. His people. Isaiah questions how the exiles could doubt God. Knowing who he is and what he is like. You know God. Maybe some of you more than others, but you know God. You've been seeking and, 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 and you've been starting to get some prayers answered. And you, you've experienced the love of God. And you've experienced the presence of God. And, and you've, seen, you've seen God answer prayers and do miracles. And if God has been faithful in the past, can he do it again? Isaiah reminds us 
that there's no reason to doubt God. That God is almighty, that he's all-powerful, that no one compares to him. That it is when we trust him that we find renewal and that we find strength. And if that's the truth, if that is true, then why are you doubting God? Knowing who he is and what he's like, why are you doubting God? Could it be because we're recognizing we think that the problem is greater than God? Could it be that we are, we're filling our heads so much with the negativity and the wrong thoughts of this world that we've forgotten that our God is greater than sin, death, and the grave? Could it be that we need to turn back and remind ourselves that there is no one like our God? Isaiah addresses the exiles' doubts and fears by reminding them of God's endless power, wisdom, and desire to share that with this power, he wants to uplift and encourage us. That he wants to give power to the weak. And that's what we find in verses 27 through 31. The prophet Isaiah addresses the doubts of the exiles and reassures them of God's endless power, wisdom, and desire to empower them. The emphasis here is that waiting on God, even in the most challenging circumstances, brings renewal and strength. Check out what verse 37 says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from God, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even the youth will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah questions how the exiles could doubt God. Knowing who God is and what he is like. He's saying God is all powerful and he has the strength that you need. He has the wisdom that you need. He has the grace that you need. He wants to help you out he wants to bring comfort to you. He wants to give power to the weak and the weary. God's grace is so wonderful that he desires to empower you when you are weak. That it is when you're weak that you're strong. 
that it is when you recognize that you need God that you get to experience the fullness of who he is. Those who wait on God are encouraged to live in confident expectation of his action on their behalf and resist the temptation to solve their problems without him. God is asking you tonight to wait in hope for help. That he has promised to see you through. That he has promised to make a way where there seems to be no way. That there is hope for you. That there is still hope for your family. That there is still hope for this city. That there's still hope for this nation. I don't care what anyone says. I choose to trust the word of God. And he said that if we turn to him, he will turn to us. And he says that he's ready and willing and able to give us strength and hope and a future. That he's ready to comfort us if we are willing to wait in hope for help. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you. Because even in the darkest times, your grace makes a path forward. Would you stand with me? And as you do, I would, I would love to invite you to just, just close your eyes for a second. And I know that this is different and we're going to have some time at the tables. But, but would you be so kind as to close your eyes for just a second. I don't know exactly what, what you're going through. And maybe like Israel, you find yourself in, in one of those very challenging and, and dark seasons of, of life. Where you cannot see a path forward, where it seems like you've tried everything and nothing has worked, and, and you feel like you failed. But I've come to tell you in the name of Jesus there is hope for you. God is not done with you. Today he's speaking over you the same words that he spoke over Israel while they were in Babylon. Comfort. I've come to bring you peace. I've come to bring you comfort in the middle of the storm. Tonight, God reminds you that he is almighty. That he has the power to make a way where there seems to be no way. That he has the power to do what you cannot do for yourself. That he has the capacity to give you strength 
to endure, even if you feel weak. But he's asking you tonight, are you willing to wait in hope for help? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we recognize that we need you. That we need your power. That we need your wisdom. That we need your guidance, oh God. That like Israel, we find ourselves in very difficult circumstances, not knowing what to do. But tonight we choose to wait and hope for help because we know who you are. We know that you're almighty God. We know that there is nothing impossible for you. We know that you are the God that makes a way where there seems to be no way. We recognize that you're the one that gives us strength when we are weak. And we are weak tonight. Would you give us strength, oh Lord? Would you give us the faith to believe that you're not done? Father, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, that you fill the hearts and the minds of my brothers and sisters. That you strengthen their hearts. That you, that you clear their thoughts, oh God. That the, in, that the mighty name of Jesus would ring clear in their, in their hearts and in their souls. That they may recognize that in the middle of the storm there is hope. Because you give us wings like eagles. Because you give us the capacity to fly over the storm. Because you empower us. Father, we thank you because you're a God that is near and that is close. Thank you, Father, that, that you're with us in tough times and that you give us the grace that we need even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for the hope that we find in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.